Hello, and welcome to Recent Activity, your new favorite entertainment review podcast where we aim to cover every film, every show, all at once. I'm your co-host, Andrew Morgan, and with me each and every week are two men who could be my wingmen anytime, Chris Brodell. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for audio. The Iceman Chomp, everybody, for anybody who's trying to keep up. And, of course, Shane Beauregard. What up, uh, a.k.a. Inferno, for today's episode. And again, even though (laughs) I find it personally amazing, um, Shane is wearing aviator sunglasses for this, even though it's an audio medium. That is commitment, everybody. That's what we like to see. That's what we like to, to display for you guys. So I'm very pumped because, you know, today's a big show. Today is the big 80s movie remix weekend that we all had uh, with Stranger Things Season 4 coming out, which we will review in the second half of this episode. Uh, So much to unpack from an overpacked Volume 1 that came out on Friday on Netflix. But up top, we're going to kick the tires and light the fires with our recent activity. All right, as you may have guessed from my lead-in to this segment, our recent activity this week is the review for the number one movie from this weekend and the biggest opening weekend ever for the film star Tom Cruise. Of course, I am talking about Top Gun Maverick, which pulled in nearly $300 million worldwide and seems to be a critical success as well with an 8.7 IMDb score and a 78 Metascore. If you listen to our top 10 most anticipated summer movies episode, you know we here at Recent Activity have been chomping, Chris, chomping at the bit bit for this one. I think I broke my tooth. (laughs) This is, of course, a reboot, sequel, reboot, whatever you want to call it, to the 1986 Tony Scott classic that brings Tom Cruise's Pete Maverick Mitchell back into our lives. This is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, whose previous work uh, was Tron Legacy. Uh, So obviously he's able to handle franchises, resurrecting them from the dead. uh, Well, from the dead. You know, it's whatever. But bringing them back into the fold. And of course, he's worked with Tom Cruise before in directing Oblivion. Uh, This is also written by an amazing screenwriter, Peter Craig, who is excellent also at uh, franchise IP. He recently wrote the Batman screenplay. He wrote The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 and 2, Bad Boys for Life, and one of, I would think, Shane's maybe personal faves too, The Town. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So love that guy. He's such an amazing screenwriter. And like I said, this stars Tom Cruise as Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. After more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete Mitchell is where he belongs, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advancement and rank that would ground him. That is the basic plot synopsis for this movie. Obviously, that doesn't really get into the nitty gritty of what the true meaning and true motivations are behind this film. This has an amazing roster of talent, some from obviously previous films like Tom Cruise, but also bringing in a lot of, I'd say, uh, people who I really liked over the years, especially, my God, my love, Jennifer Connelly is here as well as the love interest, Penny Benjamin, in this. Miles Teller, 
uh, playing Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, a.k.a. the Son of Goose in this. Glenn Powell playing Hangman, which is essentially a redux of Iceman. Uh, then you have the real Iceman, Val Kilmer, coming back, and we'll get into maybe um, what you guys thought of his performance and how they kind of did that. I heard that actually was done kind of CGI with the voice stuff, a lot of, like, bring back his old voice stuff yeah. and, and making it work. That's incredible. That, I thought that scene worked really well with that. Uh, yeah. John Hamm is also here as Admiral Simpson. Monica Barbaro is Phoenix. Ed Harris is Chester Kane. Uh, an inc- incredible, incredible lineup of talent. Um, this is one of those movies, and I don't know. I know uh, Chris and I went to the movies, so I kind of know his opinion. So we'll probably start with Shane here. But there were certain things that even though I like the original Top Gun. There are things that make it very much of the 80s at 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 least. And then, of course, there's other things that I thought Tony Scott did with the movie that, you know, maybe could have been fixed or updated. So I wasn't, when I heard this, I wasn't like, no, they can't do this. Or, <laughs> oh, it's, you know, they can't fix a classic. I thought this one actually could have used an update. And we talked about that a little bit with our top 10 most anticipated summer movies episode. Um, and I thought that the things that they did kind of course correct to use a, you know, flight term uh, that they did with this movie made this movie an even better movie than the original top gun, which some people will tell me to shut up. I will say this movie works so much better, especially because of the top flight uh, aviation that is in this as well. Shane, you were the person who was the most anticipating this movie, so give it to me, buddy. Tell me what you thought of, of Top Gun Maverick. I don't want to be caught in the moment, but this movie far outweighed my expectations, and we've been waiting for this movie for like two years now, right? Because it kept getting yeah, over, back. Yeah, sure, yeah. It I wrote down as one of the better... It outweighed the original, like you said. It, it was one of the few sequels that was better than the original movie. I thought the screenplay was so smart. Uh, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. I love yeah. how they intertwined the original one with this one, and they did it like seamless, like seamlessly. If that's a word. Um, yes, I did like when the throwbacks. Yes, I did <laughs> like the throwbacks. I love the cast. I like the Glenn Powell character because in I, I want to correct you a little bit because he reminded me of a young maverick not a young Iceman. both he's um, kind of got both yeah he's yeah. kind of a mix so i will give you that for sure right and i've been touting miles teller for a long time now i love him as an actor i think he should yeah. be a bigger star than he is and oh, i love jennifer Connolly. oh she's <laughs> uh, so she's yeah. so hot but the flight sequences i thought the screenplay was well written I, I was engaged this movie did not disappoint on any level like the flight sequences the choreography was just i mean it was amazing it was amazing uh i loved every ounce of this movie the only thing nitpicking here because i was in the military um he wouldn't be able to be a captain for 30 years like you have to have a certain (laughs) rank and if you don't move up they kick you out so outside of that little nitpick point for me it was a perfect movie like i love john ham's character like it, it all worked like in the iceman uh, scene you're talking about it made me emotional like I was almost moved to tears during that scene yeah there are scenes between that one and uh, some of the stuff between Maverick and Rooster that really work on an emotional level that really make this movie for <laughs> lack of a better term grounded and especially more grounded than its uh, predecessor yeah. so 
And I was saying to, to Chris after we got out of the movie, too, there are certain things that, quote, bother me about the original. Um, one, they overuse Danger Zone, Take My Breath Away, and Fault Myers' uh, guitar solo score piece, like, a lot. Like, it's almost like they had three pieces of music and nothing else, and they just reused them for whatever purposes they wanted. That was one thing. The flight visuals were good for the 80s, but obviously don't hold up as well today. And also, the uh, the missions that they would go on, especially the ending of the original Top Gun, really kind of were ambiguous. Uh, it didn't really have like a big drive to it. And and Chris actually said it while we were in the theater. The, the mission for this one is like, cool. So they did Top Gun doing Star Wars. That's great. They did, they did <laughs> yeah. New Hope where it's like, stay, they might as well have been saying, stay on target, stay on yes. target the whole time. Yep. So Chris. Great leader, you know, yeah. something like that. Exactly. <laughs> So, Chris, uh, drop some knowledge on us. What did you appreciate uh, about Top Gun Maverick? Basically, uh, this is going to be a reoccurring theme uh, in every episode that we do. I agree wholeheartedly with what you guys said. It is amazing that the time that has uh, gone by and the sequel just uh, has been, been waited for for as long as it has, it exceeded expectations. Yeah. Because th- there is a lot of, like hey, let's touch back on nostalgia. And yes, this movie does that, but it actually gives a story that's its own. Sure. You know, uh, you, you know, like you said, Andrew, it does seem ambiguous uh, in the original. It's like, who's the enemy again? Why yeah. are these jets coming in and out? This is a training job? What, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. What country um, are we going into? It yeah, all just exactly. looks like mountains. What are we doing? Yeah. And you would think that, you know, because back then... You know, the Russians were the bad guys. You think they'd be like those Russian bastards? We're going after them. Okay, <laughs> right. good. It's yeah. like these unknown country of origin black planes are the enemy. Yeah. Okay. Um, with this one actually having a mission, there were stakes. There was you know a window of opportunity for them to train. I loved it. I love every moment of it. But uh, yeah, the the little nitpicks that I've uh, said to Andrew and I'll, you know, say now are, it seemed like you're touching a little too much on nostalgia by, Hey, remember that song that goose played, you know, great balls of fire. Remember that? Guess what? Bradley knows how to play that rooster knows how to play that. It's his favorite. He's going to play it out of nowhere. Right. And that's, you know, Listen, it's in Whatever. honor of his dad. And and that's it the is. thing about this movie is that Goose's death, to me, is the main thing that matters about the original. And this movie gets that. It gets right to the heart of that by yeah. integrating it with his son into it. So any little small things, because for what you're saying, I didn't feel a lot of fan service nostalgia stuff really. No, and it could have script. easily done that. Yeah. And, and also, like you mentioned about the the ambiguous enemy uh from the last one the reason for that is because the movie was made they were only able to use the planes because the navy the military the u.s government had to be involved with the production of the movie so they really couldn't like make something that would seem like it's ripped from right like something truthful or to get them in trouble with another country like oh you want to like come after us you know any of that stuff so I think it was really kind of softened 
in those spots for a reason back in 86. So mm-hmm. this one, while it didn't go much harder, <laughs> it kind no. of just leaves it kind of open to interpretation a little bit too. Um, but this one, at least, I feel like it didn't matter as much. Like it mattered for people's careers. It mattered to like bring a team together. It mattered to bring uh, Rooster and Maverick together. Yep. But to me, it ultimately wasn't the end-all, be-all of the movie, especially once they get, quote, behind enemy lines. Uh, spoiler alert for that one towards the end. So, mm-hmm. um, but And in fact, I said to you, I thought the only time when the movie kind of trips itself up and understandably based on what they want to try to do is the ending where it feels like it kind of ends multiple times and has the out of the skies into the ground and trying to get uh, Maverick and Goose even closer and into yeah. a plane and kind of that was the only kind of like forced fan service a little bit sort of in the script but even then that worked for me it didn't bother me it kind of stutter steps the script a little bit in the third act because of it but outside of that hard to really uh imagine a better movie out of something like this because i've seen people go well this could have been the Force Awakens of Top Gun, where it's like literally they kind of redid A New Hope, you know, with just updated characters and whatever and kind of made it more about the younger generation and kind of sidelined-ish the original characters. Same with something like Scream 4, uh, a.k.a. Scream 20... Scream 5, yeah. Yeah. Or Scream 5, excuse me. Yeah. Um, Where they kind of just made it about the younger generation they brought in the older characters what yeah. the main plot line wasn't driven by like a nev campbell or any of that stuff so this is tom cruise's movie this is a pete maverick mitchell movie so i thought that was perfect the way they set that up because <laughs> it easily could have been something way more obnoxious like a lot of the movies that i just mentioned they work on varying degrees, but I thought this was way better than any of the ones I just listed. And it kind of should set the blueprint if they want to bring back some of these other 80s films and really kind of know what matters and how to do it. But yeah, perfect combination. Right. Oh, yeah. um, I was a little skeptical because not like skeptical in this movie because I, I, I have faith in Tom Cruise. If anyone's ever heard me, I, you know, whatever. I love that guy. But. Sure. Very few times throughout cinematic history have we seen a sequel that's been past 20 years that actually lands on his feet. So, like, think yeah. Dumb and Dumber, um, mm-hmm. Zoolander yeah. 2. I mean, I mean <laughs> you know, just examples off the top of my head. I mean, it's been sure. 30, like you said, 30 something years before the original one. So, I was like, okay. And to me, it was the first, it was the first one that actually landed correctly. And I did like the third act, even though it was kind of predictable. Like I knew sure. kind of, I thought Hangman was going to show up sometime and he, he did. But yeah, I, I said it to Chris in the theater <laughs> too. Yeah. It was fine. Like I liked the third act. I, again, yeah. Okay. You can nitpick it a little bit, but I loved it. Like I loved everything about this movie. Like I, it made my pants tight is all I'm saying throughout the whole well, thing. It's, it's funny you say the pants tight thing. Cause there's a moment where, uh, uh, Maverick's plane loses its landing gear and I was like it doesn't need landing gear because there's a million dad boners that will hold up this plane when it lands <laughs> like you don't need that because yep. the whole theater like it's weird you, it was varying ages where I saw but from what I hear yeah. the best thing as far as if you're a person who owns movie theaters or if you're a studio or any of these other things or obviously if you're Paramount you got to be over the moon that 
one of the big things coming out of the pandemic is that a lot of the age 35 and older age bracket was not coming back to the movies unless you know it was a Marvel movie or something. This is the movie that did incredibly well at the box office. And also the average age was like that, you know, our age and up kind of a thing. And still it sold that well. So it obviously shows you don't need just Marvel movies and you can make a classic summer blockbuster and make it work. And this movie cost a pretty penny. I believe it cost like 150 million and they made that in North America alone over the weekend. So they definitely, obviously attack on marketing, especially for how long they were marketing it. It's going to keep driving the price up. But I think even just this weekend, they probably either broke even or made a little bit of money. So, and everything they do from here on out will just be gravy. And this movie is rewatchable. It is insanely rewatchable. I think Shane, you already said you have plans to go see it again, right? Yeah, tomorrow night I'm there again, again because it is very rewatchable. Like, it, yeah, ugh, yeah. So I'm and it's in. not three hours like you know. And again, even though I like the movie, it's not the Batman. The Batman, I was like, mm-hmm. I'll wait for HBO Max and just watch it at my leisure or whatever because it is so long. Even though I do enjoy it, like that movie isn't as rewatchable as it. This is straight popcorn into my veins, and I loved every minute of it. Yeah, it's that's how the original was too. It yeah, is be- just like before you know, it's done. It's going to be hard to top. I think this movie is going to be hard to top. Like, it kicked off the summer really well, and I, it's going to be hard-pressed for me to find a better movie this summer than Top Gun Maverick. And I don't want to uh, re rehash or relitigate or any of those. We just did our top five of 2022, like, uh, what, a few weeks back at this yep. point? So I don't want to call it out, but Shane, it sounds like, is, does this replace your number one? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I Yep. So Chris, Chris, where do you fall on that? Is is it number one or is it in that top five? Is it boots up mount? It's it. It is in the top five. Uh, I think we're we're trying to figure out. It's like oh, we, we, if I bump this one and if I you know yeah. carry this one over, I definitely see it in the top five because honestly, that's what you. It, I wanted to see a good movie, an entertaining movie, and that's yeah. what we saw with Maverick. Yeah, we went in. I I know out of the three of uh, the three of us. It was the least anticipated for me only right. because some time has passed and, you know, I, I just, it was attainable. It was like the next movie after our recording right. that we yeah. were going to go see. So I was just like, I don't have to anticipate anything. I've anticipated yeah. it for two years or sure. three years. Yeah. Once I got to see it, I, every, all my worries left. I, I was just like, I was entertained I I sing its praises. I salute it. (laughs) That's a good way to leave that one off. But yeah, absolutely. I think this goes into the top five for me for the year. I don't think it overtakes uh, my number one, but definitely it's in that top three, top four-ish area, Uh, but it definitely sneaks in there. And, you know, it's one of those things, even though Cruz is, what, 60? I think he's 59. 59, somewhere around there. Man, obviously he's aging incredibly well, and he also has Mission Impossible ending and everything else, but I don't know if they might be able to squeeze in a third one to this one. In fact, I said to Chris, I was like, <laughs> I was joking. We wrote it. it. This, this isn't, yeah, this isn't a major spoiler, but I'll, I'll take Shane's temperature on it. So they go for a, a, a joyride in a jet at the end of the movie with Jennifer Connelly and, and Maverick, and I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if they fly off 
and they're just having this fun, good time, and they get shot down (laughs) (laughs) or get shot at. And then all of a sudden it's like they get captured and then it has to be this big thing. I would love it. Like Jennifer Connelly gets to kick a little ass and spit some blood and do something. I'd be all about that. That would be awesome. Sign me up. Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. Because, again, Tom Cruise is not the only person who's aging insanely well. Jennifer Connelly, I didn't even look up her age because that's kind of rude, but, man, she's obviously she was a she was a kid in the 80s, so she's younger than Cruise, obviously. Yeah. But she's got to be I, maybe I, 50? Uh, yeah, I want to say like 50, 51. Yeah. Early 50s, if Early that. 50s, because Labyrinth is around the same time as the original Top, uh, Top Gun, and she was, what, a teenager? Maybe. I forget. Like, was she like seventeen or something like that? Sixteen, seventeen, in uh, in that, and that was eighty-seven. So do the math. Yeah, I'll walk and- away. <laughs> exactly. But obviously, yeah. a glowing review this week versus sorry, Alex Garland's men from last week. But I think this is a much hotter start uh, to our episode today, and I can't wait to get to the second half of our episode because Stranger Things is back on Netflix with season four. And we were kind of trading stuff uh, back and forth through our messages. And so I think we all are pleased in some ways, but maybe we can talk about it. But I'm excited. Uh, And stay tuned with us because we're going to talk about the entire volume one when we get back. Attention Nerdy Nights, join Flo, Anders, and me, Colleen, at the well-rounded table for Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms. From that Star Wars galaxy far, far away to Outlander Scottish Highlands, we consume it all. Listen along with us each week as we explore the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1, was released on May 27th uh, with Volume 2 right on its heels coming on July 1st. I can't wait for that. Almost three full years after Season 3. We did our preview episode last week, so if you still haven't watched Season 4 and you're looking forward to what's coming up, Go back and listen to our preview episode, watch season four, volume one, and then come back to this conversation because we'll probably get very spoilery because uh, there is so many, so many storylines, yeah. so much going on that, you know, when the Duffer Brothers called season four their Game of Thrones season, they were not mistaken whatsoever because everyone is so spread out uh, across the entire world, let alone just the the continental U.S. So, whew. A lot of fallout from season three uh, that we're going to talk about and obviously update those storylines, including all the new characters and how those worked. Um, because basically this is just, you know, everyone trying to move on with their lives from season three and a new threat brewing both on Earth and the Upside Down in Hawkins, all over the place, governmental influence, you know. <laughs> Cats and dogs living together, <laughs> you know, mass hysteria, mass hysteria. demobats, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so many things to deal with, including a full new big bad in Vecna that we will get to, because uh, even that, uh, before you finish volume one, is a whole new can of worms that, to me, I thought worked really well. So we'll get into it. Obviously, the storylines that carry over 
uh, with 11, moving in with the buyer, shipping off to California, hoppers in a Russian prison, uh, complete with Demogorgons. You saw that the uh, last stinger part of season three. Uh, Lucas joins the basketball team and is trying to fit in with his teammates and become popular and kind of leave his friends behind a little bit. Broken up with Max, who is reeling from the death of her brother, Billy, uh, and also kind of getting into, you know, is she a target this season? You kind of see that in the trailer getting uh, brought up into the air, uh, levitating above the graveyard at Billy's gravesite. So that's obviously going to cause some discussion. We got Nancy, you know, on a different coast than Jonathan. Uh, so does that mean Steve enters the fray? There's so many things, and I haven't even really gotten into like, you know, the high school of it all, which is basically the first couple episodes of this uh, new season, where it's like, you know, Mike and Eleven, where are they? You know, bullying and some of these other uh, things that you know maybe are less interesting. But then there, are, of course, they they come roaring back with stuff like you know uh, uh, Robert England's character Victor Creel and kind of a haunted house thing more upside down more horror uh, for sure and a town in Hawkins that is kind of slowly realizing that maybe they are cursed <laughs> and maybe <laughs> they have so much going on that uh yeah maybe it's a good time to move I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say Hawkins people you had your moments all right listen if, the, if it's that bad, get the, get the hell out of Dodge, all right? Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Um, but I don't want to get too far in the weeds just yet, but one of the things is the season I thought was very influenced by a various cornucopia of 80s movies, notably Nightmare on Elm Street is very much front and center. Oh, they yeah. Also you could tell also with kind of the bullying aspect in the high school stuff with Eleven that because she's always kind of ridden that uh, Drew Barrymore fire starter kind of a vibe uh, previously that now this is full on carry that they're doing. Um, and yep. especially, you know, with the, the roller rink scene and everything else and the retribution, it, it almost looked like she should have been like covered in blood instead of a milkshake. So it, I it, said it the really same had thing. The, yeah, there's so much of that. Um but I got to say, for, for the most part, before we get into details, I really like this season. It does not. And I said, I had this conversation with Chris where the first couple episodes start really slow. And I think that's because most of the California stuff doesn't really work for me in this. But once everything becomes mission critical on multiple fronts, this is a tight drum of a season that just gets better and better and better with each episode where I personally thought Shane uh, disagrees, but we can get into it. But hmm. I thought the final episode was the best one, which is exactly what you want. And I didn't think it peaked too early. I didn't think it got, you know, boring towards the end or anything. I thought everything was just set up to be this domino effect all the way to the end and giving you the biggest reveals right as Volume one ends, and we're now looking forward into the last two seasons. Shane, because I know you disagree with that a little bit. I don't know your full assessment, but I know obviously you didn't think the last episode was maybe the best. What did you enjoy or didn't enjoy about this season? So I watching this season, it was like every episode was literally over an hour, but it didn't feel that way to me. Like I could have watched 20 hours of this season. 
Yeah. <laughs> the only storylines that did not sit well with me was the whole California vibe. The whole Will, like, why is he even the show right now? Besides being a buyer. Um, yeah, the, the Mike, much. The Mike angle, the Will angle didn't work. I liked the new characters, specifically Eddie. Um, I liked Argyle. And I love Erica, uh, Luke, Lucas's sister. She was probably one of my yeah. favorite characters of this season so far. Yeah. But to echo what you said, I loved every aspect of this show except the whole California stuff. I could have done without that. That, to me, was the most boring storylines of the show so far. But like you said, I got two vibes. I got the Nightmare on Elm Street vibe for sure. And then obviously the Carrie. Like that was the yeah. first movie that popped in my head with the whole uh, <laughs> roller skate incident, which was pretty yeah. badass, by the way. Uh, it was. And, and I, I was totally on board yeah. as a person who got bullied as a kid. I was like, good on you, Eleven. I felt no sympathy for Angela whatsoever. <laughs> No. And, and in fact, if you I've seen some people be hypercritical about uh, how hard in the paint some of these uh, <laughs> bullying scenes get in, mm. in, in Stranger Things, not even just this season, but this season especially. And yeah, I, I, I could see that. But, you know, I, still, it proves a point and it gets to, right. to where she needs to and, be. And those, so. that's how kids are today. Like, that's how kid like they're just, you know, bullies and that's how rude they are. So I didn't mind it at all. Especially in the 80s, where it was like <laughs> no filter, just completely just right in your face every day, <laughs> just annihilating your life. Yeah, right. sure. Uh, Lucas, to me, was a little annoying this season. Um, like I, said. I thought he served a good purpose, though, with kind of like being with people that, you know, not his usual crowd, but then also being the person who can kind of lead them astray and come back to the fold. I thought that was he was useful. And the stuff with him and Max as after Max kind of started to go through her stuff with Vecna, I thought he was good on that. But he's a small aspect of the general season. Right. I love the look of Vecna. That whole character sits well with me. I like everything going on with the Upside Down world with Vecna. That all worked. Uh, Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, Casual Friday Skeletor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I, I loved, I think Eddie was probably my favorite character of this season so far. Yeah. We'll get to that uh, towards the end because um, I did write a bunch of, you know, kind of who won the season right. MVP candidates. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are really into Eddie this season. The problem with Eddie for me is just obviously by the storyline, he does get put to the side for right. a long stretch of the season. But obviously you could take that to wherever you want one the soundtrack was awesome in this show again i thought the score was yes. even way better yes. i thought it was cranked up at times and i was into it and it, this is probably the most horror element or they did horror right so this is not like the first three seasons like this gets graphic yeah. in, in some scenes yeah which i think i told you guys last time I'm, I'm letting my daughter watch season one and as i'm watching this season i'm like ah, i don't know if i'm gonna let her watch season four <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's legit because I mean, as we mentioned about the whole Nightmare on Elm Street influence, those possessions, quote unquote, from Vecna, where it's like snapping bones and you know twisting people in the air, that is very reminiscent of kind of especially part one. But they also uh, talked about Dream Warriors a lot, where it's like that definitely kind of echoed how that one worked too. So yeah, I was into it, man. 
And even, uh, you know, Robert England, shout out to, to Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, being Victor Creel in this. I thought he was good kind of doing the Hannibal Lecter yeah. role in this in this season. I dug how they did that, and it was it, it worked. It was creepy and effective. Chris, where do you sit on, on season four, volume one? Uh, I have to say, yes, I, I see the influences, but I think this the only one that kind of like stood out to me is like, Every time they were in the upside down and you have like that reddish hue, it reminded me of Dreamscape, uh, <laughs> which uh, ties back into Dream Warriors because right. uh, the same guy wrote it. Right. Um, yeah, sure. So I was saying this, I think, off air that I was the holdout. I was the one most worried about the time that we've been away from this group and now suddenly we're supposed to jump both feet in and and be accepting of this fact my god yeah. you can't play me like that <laughs> i was played i uh i was fully in i watched this with uh melanie my wife she's just like ah oh, this is so slow and i agreed uh, in the beginning it was slow and then i don't know it just like kind of clicked by the third and fourth episode where i was just like okay now it's amping up now we're getting somewhere because yeah. I, my complaint was all right we're all caught up with these kids. We know what they've been doing. We we know where they're going, where their stance is. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Let's get to the good stuff. Yeah, and, and that was a lot of episode one, especially. It was very yes. heavy with that. And then uh, episode two was kind of the the Mike's trip out to California stuff and yep. you know that whole drama between him and Will, are they still best friends? Like that kind of fallout stuff. And then what's been going on with Eleven, the bullying and all that. And then the fallout of what happens at the roller rink too. So it's a lot of throat clearing in the first yeah. two episodes. But what I enjoyed about it is that they still know how to to end an episode. Yeah, Even early on, they were like, hey, I think it's what? The first episode when that girl gets killed? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, literally like the last minute of that. So- that's huge, um, and and that's a good way to carry over. I thought this was so well thought out um, by the Duffer brothers, and I like that the Duffers, Sean Levy, like they kept it very minimal in terms of who's controlling the ship in this one between either the the writing or the direction, but mostly the direction. And I thought it was very very good in terms of the uh, how it carried from episode to episode. Right. Oh, I yeah. um, going off what you asked me earlier. I liked. Episode seven, I thought it was a really good episode, the way to end it, because it really leaves you wanting more. But for mm. me, the best episode of the season was episode four, which was Dear Billy, which I thought you were going to win the uh, whole our whole death pool bet, by the way. I was kidding. I know. It was close. <laughs> it, was it, was close. it was close. I To me, that was the peak episode for me. Like I, I don't know why, but I thought that was... But they're all good. I like the seventh one, but Dear Billy was was it for me. Yeah, it sounds like for a while there, I was like, is is Kate Bush your MVP of this season <laughs> right? for a bit there? Keep running up that hill. Oh, I, and we were, I, I do. I do. I, I'm so tempted to, I I was listening to the Ringerverse, uh, uh, their review of, of <laughs> this season, and they do actually pop in there being like, hey, what would be the song on your, you know, Walkman or, you know, cassette player that would get you out of the Upside Down or get you away from Vecna? And I thought it was such a hard question because it's like basically asking you, like, what's your favorite song? And it's like, yeah. dude, I listen to thousands and thousands and thousands of songs all the time. Um, 
But to me, I I I, I want I asked you guys to kind of write down your answer. We'll do this real quick. I figure it's a good a good part as any to do it. I picked because I wanted to keep it limited to '86 because it's an impossible question. And so my favorite song of '86 that I wrote down was uh, Genesis Invisible Touch, which I love mostly because in that song, they do a key change halfway through the song. So it almost feels like a new song or an invigorating upbeat. So to me, every time that kicks in, I always get like a little goosebumps, (laughs) a little bit of energy. So if something has to be on repeat, I want something that can do that. My backup choice was the outfield, your love, but because it's just around all the time everywhere my entire life so that was something that easily could have been worked but yeah for me it's genesis invisible touch uh chris what do you got uh if we're sticking to 86 uh i'm gonna have to say uh in your eyes by peter gabriel was that 86 86 i didn't see that on the list that i was looking at ah crap that's a good force my hand you force my hand yeah (laughs) that was that was actually uh the instrumental version anyway we used that in our wedding uh, my wife and I. So yeah, I was it's, gonna a, say, it's, but it's a great if, song. If you wanted any song like throughout time, it would have to be Foo Fighters Everlong for me. Because That's a good it one. was also used in our wedding. Yeah. My wife and I. No, it's great. Yeah. Uh, Shane, where are you at with that one? Because you seemed all jazzed up when I asked you, like, I, hey, I figured it out. I was. I was. Because this is a hard question. Like you, I Until have now. like 5,000 songs <laughs> on my Apple music list and I listen to right. everything. Yeah. So I didn't go 86 specifically, but I went with Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. There you go. Little and Breakfast Club. Little Solid. Breakfast Club. Yeah. I can listen to that song on repeat just about all day long. My backup was pretty much anything from Tears for Fears. That was my backup. Yeah, sure. Although, nice. if I had to listen to like Mad World or something like that every fucking day, <laughs> I'd be like, Ugh, I'd start going mad myself. I like the song. I love their stuff, you know, Shout and everything. Like, yeah, it's yeah. great stuff. Everybody Wants to Rule the World would be the one I'd probably choose. Um, so, yeah, it's all, all solid selections, guys. I think we would all make it out of the upside down. Um, but what I want to get into next is I kind of did a best stuff in the season and I did a top five, and I want to know, A, how you feel about each of them, of course, and if you would add or subtract any of them as I'm going through. And this is in order, so I'm going to go in reverse. Um, number five to me was Nancy and Steve reuniting because Jonathan is super old, and he sucks, and his... Even his conversations with Argyle kind of sucks. His excuse for not moving on sucks. Um, And also Nancy being the great journalist and leader throughout the season because she's the person who hunts down the Victor Creel stuff. She's in the trailer park chasing down leads. She's doing the real nitty-gritty, the Nancy Drew, that she is in this show. So I thought that is number five. You guys on board with that one? I'm on board. Sounds good. Yep. All right. Number four, the satanic panic. Uh, of the town with kind of the the Eddie the D and D scary article thing uh, the and the basketball captain Jason who loses his girlfriend and uh, thinks it's Eddie and kind of drums up all the and stirs up all the fear in the town hall and everything. This seemed a little stagey, whatever. But I, this guy has big cult leader vibes, 
and I enjoyed him whenever he would grab the mic and kind of like try to drum up the crowd, whether it was in the beginning at the pep rally or obviously, you know, bringing it all the way back to the town hall and trying to cause a massive panic. You guys on that one? I'm on board with that too. Uh, and I made a note because the, the first speech he gives at the pep rally, I was like laughing. I'm like, that's total jock right there. Like yeah. people have <laughs> yeah, died. Yeah. I'm like, exactly. They don't give a shit who wins this basketball game. And he's like, we're going to do it for so-and-so. I'm like, okay, exactly. Yeah. 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 And of course they make sure right up front that they're like, this is the religious guy. You know, he's going to be the kind of, you know, yeah. Maybe in a misguided sense, but they're going to use that kind of biblical overtones to kind of fight against the whole, you know, D and D metal Satan. He's quoting know. scripture. Watch yeah, out! Exactly. Um, number three, I have Victor Creel and the house and the whole flashback sequences and everything that worked with that. Obviously, up and even including up until the end, but mostly like even just how they worked that all in with the. You know, how Vecna's upside down looks like with the glass stain stuff and then the, the, the entryway being in the house and then bringing in, you know, of course, Robert England to, to be Victor Creel and do that whole conversation. I thought all of that was very fun as kind of like the Scooby-Doo version of, of this season where it's like them all being journalists. Chris, you, you on that vibe? Oh, yeah, definitely. My God, if they could hammer on that anymore i'd like to see them try because that was a good group collective i think shane brought that up in our in our messages or where we're like you like how that whole group like yeah. steve and eddie and robin and nancy and that whole collective yeah. kind of working working the case you know and obviously ending up in the upside down themselves which was also very awesome yeah, that was my fa- uh, that was my favorite grouping of the whole series was that group you just mentioned. So I was on board with every plot line they had in this show this season. Yeah, that's one of my favorite active ones. We'll talk about the flashback stuff a little bit more, but um, number two is probably one of my other favorites, if not the favorite in terms of that collective was Hopper being in the Russian facility and then adding in the Joyce, Murray, and Yuri. Uh, combination as things progress between the flight and then obviously meeting Yuri, the the backstabbing, then actually getting Yuri, t- you know, to fly them out there and and having that whole thing transpire. I thought all that was hilarious. Um, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Murray <laughs> Murray Bauman, <laughs> Brett Gelman is fucking amazing. <laughs> he is he's almost full on Kramer in in spots here, like he's just gone bananas. But ah, uh, God, he is. He's so integral uh, to this whole thing between knowing Russian, uh, trying to to get them out there, and and being that convincing part that makes it work. And obviously, it's a carryover from season three. Man, uh, I, I enjoyed all of that. And Shane, I know your biggest thing you were looking forward to coming in was the Hopper subplot. So did that work for you? Yeah, I, they took they took a while to kind of get to the good good stuff. But I thought it worked. Oh, it throughout. worked. It, it it worked so well. Like I loved his storyline with the prison, uh, the guy they the Enzo that that character. Yeah. I liked him. But you're right, Murray. <laughs> he was so spot on. And yes, very Kramerish, especially with the whole karate, the, the karate thing <laughs> yes. with fighting teenagers. Yeah. It was perfect. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was perfect. Uh, that whole storyline just worked for me. Like I loved. Hopper in that whole prison scene and his escape attempt and 
all that. It, it just really, that was my, probably my second favorite storyline of the show. Yeah. And to me, like shout out because we were talking about a game of Thrones season, shout out to Enzo being Tom. Well, while she got, I forgot how to pronounce his name. Walashia. Walashia. Um, he was, uh, the many face God guy that was training Arya. Oh, um, shoot. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh. If you look at his face without the mustache and the whole thing, like, yeah, that is 100%, uh, game of Thrones regular throughout multiple seasons. And oh I believe somebody God. else was also, I know you're not a game of Thrones <laughs> guy. We got it. Okay. Um, Never somebody saw one episode. <laughs> awesome. That'll go on your gravestone. Um, <laughs> I feel like somebody else I'm, I'm missing. I might, remember again but there was somebody else i know who was also in uh oh joseph quinn who played eddie was also in one episode of game of thrones as well so we wouldn't like know him he wasn't as a regular as the guy who plays enzo but you know he was also in joseph quinn who has been trending on twitter so like obviously eddie is a very yeah. popular character this season i was gonna say not by his imdb that he does not look like his Eddie character, you know, with no. long hair, it throws you off completely. Yeah, he's a British actor who hasn't been in a whole lot. Okay. You know, like very small smatterings of miniseries and t mostly TV stuff over there. So not exactly who you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. It, but yeah. he works incredibly well. Um, for me, though, the best stuff in this was the 11 one uh, Hawkins Lab Redux and the Nina Project stuff. I, I thought those flashbacks were so engrossing because it works on so many levels between bringing Matthew Modine back and Paul Reiser back and kind of being like, what are the motivations this time? Not only like, hello, Matthew Modine, I guess you survived. We, we discussed <laughs> that in the, uh, the preview section, but also yep. being like, is this his redemption story? Do we know enough to say that these seven episodes in like, how does that work? Because it really makes him seem like a monster if you talk to some people and, and some, obviously what we knew of him previously, it, he didn't look like he was in a good light. So I don't know. It's still open, but man, I love the conversation that that pro provides. And also just, I thought, and again, spoiler, everybody, we are talking about this whole thing. The, uh, the one slash Peter, slash now showing that he turns into Vecna is incredible. And the fact that he's not only Vecna, because we'll get into that too, where they keep naming D&D &D characters and just being like, yep, that's him. That doesn't work for me as much. But uh, the whole um, that he was a part of the Creole family and really kind of twisting it in from the inside, and that's why that house is so significant. Like basically all the little things that we've all tied together all the way through those first six episodes becomes one big giant crystal a uh, duh <laughs> in episode seven complete with an awesome fight of seeing how 11 shoves him basically through a wall and kind of opens up the portal to the upside down no he, oh, his yeah. character worked like uh, that was probably the best part of episode seven once they finally tie everything together and you're just like oh like you should have seen it coming yeah but, like, I didn't, like an idiot. I'm like, whoa. So, like, that yeah. whole thing worked. I mean, and I, I agree with you with the whole Matthew Modine. I thought it was his redemption arc throughout the season. Because he did start yeah. off as not a likable character. Like, he was kind of a monster. 
but I do think he has 11's best interests at heart in this season. So I do feel yeah. like it is a redemption story for him. But that whole Vecna number one, oh man, that's great stuff. Yeah. Where do you sit with that, Chris? Is that like your favorite stuff or is it on that top five list? Where does the 11 one Hawkins Lab flashback stuff go? That to me deserves number one. And it's kind of self serving because by I think episode six, it started clicking with me as to what was going on. Yeah. And everything was answered in uh, episode seven. I was like, there's something up with this guy. Yeah. You know, this orderly guy who keeps on feeding her information, how to defeat her, her opponents and whatnot. And I don't think she killed all these characters. Right. And I'm just like, ah, but I don't, I don't know. And I don't trust, even now, I don't trust Paul Reiser's character. Yeah, that's that's the aliens like in us where like yes. we grew up with movies where he is the person exactly. not to trust. <laughs> and and maybe that's like, you know, kind of like a, a diversionary tactic. Yeah. But with him, like suddenly he's turned around and he's like he's helping he's quote unquote helping Eleven try and uh get her powers back. But then here he is working alongside Matthew Modine, who we know as uh, a mip- manipulator himself. Yeah. And I'm almost thinking she was my number two. If he mm. was number one, if he was a problem, the only solution is her as the opponent. Right. This is how we're going to defeat him. And I don't care what happens to her, but I'm going to put her in the position of uh, trying to defeat uh, this big baddie. Yeah. So I think he's going to use her. Yeah, which, by the way, incredible ending that to a volume one, if you're going to carry it over. Holy oh, yeah. crap, they made the right decision to end on that and then give us two kind of like larger episodes Oof. for eight and nine that we're all just going to be salivating for uh, come back uh, July 1st, right? Yep. Yeah, July 1st. Yeah. And I also want to add, uh, I knew, I knew once – Nancy was in that pool. I was like, I know that pool. <laughs> yeah. That's where Barbara died. Yeah. And that opened up a gate. And so that's gate number, you know, one of many. I did like them bringing back a lot of that stuff into the fold, like these past uh, things that are haunting them in some way and, and really trying to get to the to the meat of some of these uh, things that are haunting all these kids. Because the whole uh, season opens where it's just everyone's grieving. Like there's all these yeah. things you're either missing your friends because you moved, you're you're missing people who have passed on. Um, that's the one thing too. I know Shane was all you know pumped up about the death pool uh, for this back in the preview uh, that we did, but nobody really significant died. There's a bunch of death, and obviously we talked about the horror yeah. aspect of it, and so there's a bunch of uh, kind of gruesome stuff to to give you all the death you need in this season thus far, but. All of us are still intact and, in fact, adding extra characters as we're going along. So this is getting to be a lot. And actually, that's what I admire about the Duffers and Sean Levy and all these other people where there's so much going on and it never feels overwhelming. And I thought they weaved them in and out in just the right harmony, especially as the later episodes go. You know, especially like basically episodes four, five, six and seven are just unassailable i think that's really where it kicks in uh the one thing is though uh 
I feel like Hopper is subjected to uh, being a punching bag in every one of his scenes. It's yeah. like he gets through all this crap and it's just like, Jesus Christ, what? Yeah. How are you still standing? Truly suffering every day. Oh, yeah. So, and, and without anyone he knows. So everybody else can like be suffering, you know, whether in silence or out loud or whatever, but at least they're surrounded by some level of comfort. You know, Eleven and all of them move. Yeah, they're they're moving across the country, yeah. but at least they have like a core amount of people that they're familiar with to kind of help get through it. Uh, and then obviously can write letters and everything. They think Hopper's dead, so he's basically yeah. just sitting by himself, just either wishing for death or thinking that he's cursed. That whole speech that he did. Uh, yeah. to Enzo I thought a lot of those kind of like monologues or conversations I thought they packed a big punch I, I really felt those and that's why one of my favorite scenes uh, where we were talking about tearing up with uh, Top Gun Maverick the one that made me uh, that got to me was when Joyce and Hopper reunite in, at, once they break out of the that first part of the prison or whatever I said I would have been smooching so hard I was just <laughs> you know I haven't seen a woman in so many times yeah, oh, <laughs> but he he's just so yeah. messed up. Like he literally just threw a spear through a Demogorgon's face. <laughs> like that guy's just lucky to be alive in so many different ways. And just to see her, I love how he kind of like was kind of like shocked, and then into like slowly letting himself be happy. And I right. thought that yep. really got to me because you could see it. That's an amazing performance from uh, David Harbor. That just I, I I enjoyed him a lot, which gets into our MVP candidates, guys. <laughs> um, and I'll do again. Uh, I put these in no particular order, but basically I did kind of write them down like whoever came to mind first. So it might be some kind of order. So I have number five, Nancy Wheeler, for the uh, things I mess it uh, said mentioned before about like her journalism skills, getting to Victor Creel subplot, going undercover to talk to him, diving in after Steve to the Watergate for the upside down. <laughs> I thought that was very cool. Um and yeah, that whole her, you know, will they won't they with Steve I thought worked very well. Um number four I have Max because, you know, she evaded Vecna after being taken to the altar in the upside down. I thought her sarcasm at times was fun. I thought, you know, kind of this, you know, just bitter mood that she's in. And then also the back and forth with Lucas, you know, a lot of that stuff worked for me. So I think she's, you know, up there and obviously she's had to go through so much. So I, I thought her, her plot line was very powerful. And Shane, I know you were looking forward to that one in particular, cause you were upset when I thought she was going to die. Yeah. I like, I would have her storyline a little pumped up probably above four for me personally, but yeah, I was, I was going to be viscerally upset. Yeah. <laughs> she did not make it out from the upside down. Well, yeah, I was but, about to say, if your favorite episode is dear Billy, then you got to think Max is higher up on the list. Cause it's her, it's her episode. Right. Let's put it, put it that way. Um, number three, I had Steve, the hair Harrington. Um, <laughs> this guy just rocking, not only a perfect hairline, but also rocking the chest hair. A lot of, a lot of topless fighting this year. Um, he's diving into the lake to go to the uh, water gate. He's fighting demo bats in the upside down. He's trying to win back Nancy Wheeler, man, that guy. And, and, and the only things that like, 
it still works, but it's kind of sad. It's like him and Dustin kind of fighting like brothers or like, you know, older brother, younger brother stuff. Some of that stuff was really funny. Like learn some humility, you know, like that kind of stuff. But yeah. either way, anytime he's on screen, whether it's the him and Robin pairing or whether it's, you know, the kind of will they, won't they with Nancy or any of that stuff, he's always entertaining. So to me, I had to have him on this list. I don't know if he should be that high, but I just love him. Yeah, you know, no, he should be the high. He should be. He's the good. High. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Um, number two, which could be talked into number one, Peter Ballard, aka One, aka Vecna, aka Henry Creel. <laughs> that just for the fact that I said that many aka should tell you ah. um, that this guy is working his ass off all the way through. And if there's any person in this whole season, especially because he's a new character, that he is just compelling. His face and everything he does to kind of sell what he's trying to, the con he's giving Eleven, essentially, in those flashback scenes. Jamie Campbell Bauer, man. Holy shit. What a, what a star turn. Because this guy, he's been in other franchise stuff. He's been in Harry Potter, Fantastic Beast stuff. He's been in Twilight. But, man, this guy is just... I was laser beamed right into that. Whenever he was talking, whenever he's meeting up with Eleven, uh, got laser focus for that guy. And what a what a creepy performance mixed yeah. with just engrossing performance. Yeah, I agree. In fact, he reminded me of uh, Robert England a little bit. A little bit, but yeah. less cartoonish. Like that's what I'm saying. This guy sold the the like creep icy stare. Yeah, that he right. had just wow. He actually reminded me of uh, Jake Busey a little bit, you know, <laughs> out of Frighteners, except also less cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Less teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he he tucked him back in this one. Yeah. Um, but woof. I thought that guy just killed it in some of the most crucial scenes for the entire uh, season thus far, and then obviously he's going to be the thing that propels everything going forward so i look forward to more of him and and god i thought he just did an excellent job so i question that uh usually when she was put in the tank and then <laughs> that was me cracking my knuckles i'm no. sorry i don't know if it came um, across <laughs> mike she uh <laughs> she goes into the tank and then this is repressed memory yeah that she's remembering right mm -hmm. but uh uh, both Matthew Modine and uh, Paul Reiser's characters know what really happened. Right. Right. So it's like, they're not telling her, but she's going back into this and she's, you know, getting triggers as to, you know, what happened back then to kind of like reset her powers. Right. And now also going to have to take on the person who kind of created right. the whole thing. Yeah. And now, Every time that happened, I'm just like, so is this how it really happened? Or is this like a manipulation to get her to get her powers back? Yeah. So, like, we don't know as viewers. But overall, like, yeah, I'm just like watching this guy. And at first, I'm like, oh, man, he's menacing. Oh, wait a minute. He's helpful. Oh, my God. He's menacing. You know, it's just like it, it could go either way because his character was just like, so well placed uh, yeah throughout it but no i he definitely deserves to be number two chris we need to team up because i just instantly thought either this is going to be the name of the episode uh that we'll have or 
uh, something that we could do in a graphic. How Eleven got her groove back. <laughs> got to, it. To, where we can like have her like eating egos on the beach or something like that whole you know Angela Bassett yep. look to it. I I I, I have it all down. I love and it. And he can be uh, Tay Diggs or who's who's gonna be Tay Diggs? Right? Wasn't it Tay Diggs? Was yeah, the, I think uh, it was Tay Diggs. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to be wrong in this. Please forget <laughs> it. <laughs> I know. I know. I will, I will. I'll knock it out for you, buddy. I got your back. Or uh, eleven as a precog. You know where it's the whole minority <laughs> report thing. You know she's in Middle Earth somewhere with her exactly. twin, just you know rocking out somewhere. Um, but yeah. So, uh, but to me, I I like I said that was number two. My number one. We've already mentioned him, Murray Bauman. Just straight up karate comedy and spy-like deception. That man was throwing fireballs every time he's on screen, whether it's just on the flights or just <laughs> the risotto cooking. Like oh everything God. was fucking classic with Brett Gelman to wear just on fire the entire time, and it doesn't let up. Uh, what he's in almost every episode and yet every little he could be in the smallest bit and he just crushes it yeah he's a he's a uh, scene stealer for sure like yeah in fact when he first got to the house he kept saying like who's this guy like you know that made me laugh i think it was our guy yeah yeah Yeah, he's like who are you like yeah (laughs) i still don't know who you are yeah so good so good yeah, like we mentioned the whole Kramer thing with like fighting teenagers to get his black belt and then having to like kind of crystallize it to be like, I, de- I can't do this in real life. You know, that whole thing like just was so good. The fighting on the airplane, like, and the when he takes out all the cards in the Russian prison. There's so many good parts that this guy, he was just a one-liner machine too. And when he does the Yuri yeah. impression, when they pull up to the gate. Oh, yeah. Oh, amazing. I, uh... I hate to deviate, but uh, I I have to shame myself for uh, being so far removed from 1986. <laughs> I'm sure. old. Yeah. Um, that I kept on getting bothered by the uh, the peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, there's no seal on the peanut butter. Yeah. And yeah. I kept on thinking that it's plastic for some reason. And then when it finally <laughs> falls to the ground and it shatters, I'm like, yeah, oh, that's glass right. Everything jars. was glass. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I forgot. I forgot. But yeah. uh, you know, thanks to Murray, thanks to Murray, uh, I was reminded that it's glass, and yeah. we, we don't need no stupid seal. Which, by the way, shout out to the Jif uh, Corporation, whoever owns oh my Jif. God. Where uh, you Jif would think Reebok, this is going to be amazing for them, but I heard that they just also had a recall on Jif. Oh, <laughs> yeah, certainly did. Too. Yep. Yeah, so wow. Talk about terrible timing. <laughs> that is Choosy just... moms, choose GIF. No, yeah. not now. No, not anymore. <laughs> is it GIF? Is it GIF? GIF, it's uh, GIF, yeah, you bastard. <laughs> Get yourself some goobers or something, man. If you're gonna go classic or whatever. Get some fluff. Let's do the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But so those are my uh MVP candidates. Did I miss anybody? To recap, I put Nancy, Max, Steve, Peter Ballard, a.k.a. One, a.k.a. Vecna, a.k.a. Henry Creel, and Harry Bauman. I'll tell you. uh, Or Murray Bauman, excuse me. (laughs) I was going to say, Eddie Munson, man, I I really enjoy his scenes. Like, every. He he seems like a total jerk, 
in the beginning because he's yeah. like, oh, I'm the dungeon master, so you have to listen to everything I say. Which, by the and, way, is a classic D&D thing. Usually they're like the rock stars of it, so absolutely. Oh, I'm sure. And But he, he pulled it off that like he was running the show, and he's just like, he's quick with the uh, narration and and you know, hey, can you get me a sixer? Uh, <laughs> you know, because I'm I really just need something to keep me uh, even. It's yeah. like, oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. No, I thought but, uh, he worked a lot when he was there. I thought obviously he's a big part of the the first episode or two. Um, between what he's like in high school, that whole cafeteria speech was was great about yeah. like you know that they're not the problem. You know that whole uh, speech. classic eighties right there. Right? It, it, it was. Yeah. It really yeah. was. Uh, so I appreciate it. Uh, and Shane, obviously, you mentioned how much you like Eddie too. Is there anybody else besides that, or is Eddie yeah. your guy too? Uh, Eddie's my guy, but I she wasn't in it a lot. But I loved uh, Erica Sinclair. I loved her character. Right. Anytime she's on yep. screen, she's like a another another scene stealer. Like. I love the fact when they brought her up from eighth grade to play D and D. Yeah, yes. that her and the whole Eddie interaction. That yeah. was great. That was a great scene. Yeah. Like, it was very know, good. Oh, yeah. so good. So I I loved every scene she was in, and I hope she's in a, I guess a bigger part moving forward because I did really. I think she it. will be because right. um, she's part of that police interrogation scene where she's right. like the couch is on fire right now. <laughs> I love that whole thing. She's basically the voice of reason reason for us and everything else. And what where she ends up leaving off as well as a lot of them is they figure out kind of the where the upside down where open connections to the upside down would be and that whole bike riding scene which by the way i i mentioned it uh in our little uh personal correspondence but man that bike riding shot on two planes where they're the kids are riding in reality and then and then it flips then it flips with the them on the upside down riding bikes to the new location I thought that was ingenious and perfect. I saw it coming, and I still loved it. Um, I just can't believe that there was no uh, hive veining across the, uh, the yeah, like world. Speed bumps. You know? Yeah, like oh no, shit, no, it's nothing. It's like they cleared it. It's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. They must have had construction crews down the upside down, yeah. just clearing the path for them. Yep. But uh, yeah, I also liked how it kind of you know went back in time. That it was stuck in time from when Will. Uh, opened up the upside down that everything kind of froze. Oh yeah, my my and, thing is and that yeah. that's what triggered me on figuring out like when it happened and who was involved and yeah. who Vecna really was. That that solidified it. Where yeah. I was just like, okay, now I know what's going on. Yeah, I I still need a few things cleared up as this show comes to an end. Like in terms of you know like things like the mind flare. And the Demogorgons and Vecna all were from stuff they were doing playing D&D. And I was like, why does D&D matter so much in this show? And is there like a big connection between, you know, maybe one or something else to where they got to play D&D or D&D was an outlet for the something to where this all kind of makes sense or comes together. I don't know if I fully need that, especially now that we have like a true big bad here. With with one slash whoever Vecna. Um, also, do you guys have a good grasp on whether he is the ultimate here? Whether like he controls the mind flare in the Demigorgon or I want to I want to say that he is. Like I, I think he's he's number one for a reason. I would hope you know so. I mean? 
Shane, you got a take yeah, on that? Yeah, I didn't really make that connection to be honest with you. you just until you just actually just brought it up. Um, <laughs> I, but I can see what you're saying, though. I can buy into that. But I didn't really put much thought into that, to be honest with you. Because that was my hope with this whole humanoid form of Vecna, and obviously now they even enhanced it even deeper with the connection to Hawkins Lab. But like, I wanted somebody who kind of is orchestrating it that talks that can really kind of be this nasty sinister like they were saying a, a freddy krueger pinhead you know type character that can kind of haunt your dreams kind of reach through to the other side and still be operating on a different level i don't know i i don't know how this is going to shake out but i'm whoo i am Looking intrigued forward to it yep oh yeah definitely is there one thing in particular, or is it basically just the Vecna stuff that it with these last two episodes, including it, the last episode being a two and a half hour movie, essentially, that are we looking forward to anything else besides maybe just the Vecna stuff? Chris, I'll start with you. I like how things kind of wrap up in a bow, mm -hmm. and I know they want to go beyond this, but as far as the next two episodes, I just want to see closure or you know some kind of maybe maybe even a springboard into like the next set right of of shows but i definitely want to see closure of what's going on some of the open-ended situations mm. that have been brought up in these four seasons right but overall like uh i want uh will to admit that he loves mike yeah. You know, it's more than a friendship. I still want to see what that painting is that he brought to the airport. Yeah. It's probably him naked next to a tree. No? <laughs> no, be. no, no. I'm sorry. That was Wedding Crashers. I'm sorry. <laughs> or you get the, uh, the like, the, the George Costanza, like it's the boudoir, yes. you know, thing. Yep. Yeah, sure. But, no, I definitely want to see uh, a closure. I don't want, like, you know, this... Uh, I, I'm contradicting myself, but, like, I don't want to see, like, this open-ended thing where they're just, like... It's what you believe it is, and then walk away. It's like, yeah, I, I don't think I that's the way want, they roll with this show. But yeah, yeah, I, I want to, I want it to happen sooner than later. I don't yeah. want these kids to age out completely, where they're, you know, they have day jobs, and then they're just like, hey, guess what? We're still playing D and D. Yeah, you know? they all own the video store together, and now they <laughs> yes. can, you know. <laughs> operate yep, that's it, it and stay in Hawkins. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Uh, Shane, do you have anything kind of kicking around that you're looking no, forward to in the next couple episodes? Just the whole Vecna. That's where my mindset's at. I want to see this whole storyline end with the Vecna character. And like right. Chris said, I, I, you know, I do think they'll obviously leap, like they'll leave it open and give us a hint and what's going to be in season five. I don't see them not doing that. So we're not going to get total closure. Right. We're just going to be uh, springboarded into Stranger Things, the college years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but no, it's all Zach about Morris Vecna. is trash. Yeah. Sorry. It's all about Vecna <laughs> for me in the, these, these last two episodes. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely there, too. The one thing that's really click clacking still for me is the Matthew Modine, Paul Reiser part of it, too, because there might be some truth to what, you know, when he was in Peter form, not number one form, like how much truth was he laying out there? Was was he really trying to sell? like something that's actually true about Matthew Modine's character that I think they even mentioned, like they wanted to try to use these kids to like use for assassinations yeah. and stuff and everything else. Like I don't fully know what the goal is of the Hawkins lab. 
you know, whether obviously it it can't just be, hey, isn't it fun to play these games? There's got to be an end game to it in some military aspect or what have you. But where do we go now with Eleven and the tie to them? Is it something that's harmonious? Is it something that's like there's more to this, that there's going to be even more to unfold of who's really bad or who's who's pulling the strings? It, it, does Matthew Modine have any control over what Vecna's doing right now? You know, d- d- was that whole thing a setup for Eleven to fully realize her full potential? Kind of like the stuff with Two. Um, I don't know. Uh, that would be the ultimate thing, right? But there, there's, there's enough open questions that I'm really looking forward to the last two episodes. But I also have to think, like, these are not two episodes. These are two massive episodes especially the last one so it's like four hours of footage so it's almost like four episodes as as it stands but we will be here for it we will be there probably hating ourselves like this is a memorial day (laughs) recording for us and then we're going to turn around and record on the fourth of july (laughs) uh for for volume two i don't know if that's exactly how it's going to shake out but it the timeline fits so maybe we'll have to learn uh, to record earlier or try to get these things earlier. I don't know. I'd almost love if they put these uh, last two episodes in the movie theater. Honestly. I'll go see it. I'll see it. I would do it. Okay. Yeah. I would do it completely because if, if you're telling me the last one's two and a half hours and it's going to be this cinematic thing, the duffers, I believe, I'm in. Yeah. And and someone like Sean Levy there, too, who's already a, a fil- feature film director, give it to me. I'll yep. do it. That seems scalable. I would do it in a heartbeat. So, all right, guys, that was amazing. I think we did it right. We kind of touched everything. Um, and looking forward to volume two, like I said, on July 1st. They love their holiday weekends there at Netflix, <laughs> just ruining it for all us podcasters. But I am still in for it. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Shane and Chris, anything else? Uh, you know, I, We obviously have the boys next week. Um, we're going to touch upon uh, something that we did come out this weekend that we didn't talk about, which is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, I figure we'll yeah. talk about that next week, too. Anything else uh, you wanted to tell the people? Uh, yes, I'm actually going to see Crimes of the Future on Friday night. Yeah, that's uh, out the third, right? Yep. yep. So, yeah. And I, I want to I, I still have to finish Ambulance. I'm watching that on Peacock because uh, of Shane's glowing recommendation. I'm enjoying <laughs> it thus far. It's a it's a trip. And then, uh, yeah. And then we have Emergency, ironically. Or, yeah. Is it Emergency? Yeah, Emergency. Yeah. 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 On Amazon Prime that's still on my queue. So there's still plenty to watch. <laughs> there's still a lot to go around. Chris, you got anything before we get out of here? There's a lot of recent activity, and I just have to uh, put all my ducks in a row. You know, I just, uh, emergency is up there. I don't know if I can venture out to the movie theater, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll hopefully be pleasantly surprised as to uh, what I can and cannot do. Well, like I said, Boys is coming. That's going to be streaming. Uh, Emergency is streaming. And I thought I saw that there might be some early screenings around uh, Connecticut to see Jurassic World Dominion early, too. So I might uh, try to dip the toe in there, too. Uh, Also, uh, the Adam Sandler Netflix movie Hustle, because that comes out, I believe, on the 10th. I saw I think they're going to be in the movie theaters for a week, too. So check your local listings, everybody. There's tons of content out there. This is the start, just the start of a massive summer that we've already previewed. Go back and listen to our most, uh, our top 10 most anticipated episode. 
And just keep listening every week. Subscribe. Give us a review. I hope you guys are enjoying the show. We're only on episode six uh, here. We're just getting started, and I'm enjoying it every single week. So thanks to Chris. Thanks to Shane. And we will see you guys next week on Recent Activity.